Well, greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut double shot episode featuring one of my oldest writing friends and one of my newest. So we're going to talk to Jill Mazer, who I have known for going on 20 years. She's edited a lot of my work. Uh, I've returned the favor. And she's just been a companion in this writing journey that I've been on uh, and and I on hers. And so I wanted to get her on the show. And so we're going to chat about her eclectic writing career uh, and uh, some other things that she's into that I, I won't spoil for you. On the flip side of the coin, I was at an event recently and uh, met Jamie Lee Fry, who happens to live uh, almost in the same town that I do here in Central Oregon. And uh, we figured out that both of us being independent authors and and writing uh, in the mystery thriller corner of the fiction world, that uh, maybe we should get to know each other a little bit and see where we can help each other out. Um, and so that's why she's on the show. Uh, her first book, a psychological thriller. The Pretty Ones has uh, been received very well, and uh, you'll be happy to know there's another one coming. So we're going to talk to both of these women in just a few moments, but first I do need to remind you that Wrong Place or Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If that sounds like something that you would like, you can check out their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. And if you're a frequent listener to this show, you know that uh, the series that I created and edit and sometimes contribute to, A Grifter Song, is published by Down and Out Books. Most recently, the episode number 26 Ghost Image by Kat Richardson came out at the first of the month here in May of 2022. And in one week, the 27th episode, Low White Plain by Paul J. Garth will be out. And this one is a dark one, folks, and uh, extremely well written with a very unique voice. And I think you will dig it. So it's already available for pre-order, but definitely check that out. All right. Well, let us turn to our guests. Uh, as I mentioned before, first up is Jill Mazer, my longtime friend, uh, who is a very critical editor, uh, has a good eye, and has a lot of interesting things going on in her life that I think you will find interesting as well. Let's talk to Jill. Well, hey, Jill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Frank. It's a pleasure to be here. So you are one of these guests that I have on every once in a while who sort of fits the mold of crime fiction author and sort of doesn't. So maybe you could share with listeners exactly why in some ways you do fit the crime fiction mold and in some ways you're in a different mold entirely. Well, I started writing a romance. I thought it would be a great way to break into the writing market. And I found out very quickly that I don't fit into the mold of writing in a formula. And most romances are written in a formula. So I immediately started breaking rules and publishers didn't want to touch anything that I wrote. So <laughs> I took a step back and took some writing classes. And I think I met you through one of them or met you through another student. 
Boy, that's a good question. I'm not, I, yeah. Now that you say it, I'm trying to remember. I, I mean, I know we met in like some of the old writing forums, I think maybe we came across. Oh, perhaps each other. it was a forum then, yeah. I, mean, I don't know how. I mean, we, were we both, made a connection, though. Yeah, we we're both writing short stories. And I mean, did we end up getting in the. No, that was later that we got into the same anthology. I honestly, Jill, right. I actually don't know. So, you know, it's a pretty old <laughs> friend when you can't even remember how, how exactly you met. Um, right. But before before you even get into that, you did have a romance published called Red Passion. I did, but it's not technically, it, it's not a traditional technical romance. It's more mm. of a romantic intrigue because I didn't follow the rules. And um, first of all, it's set in Moscow, which is you know, probably not a great place to set a romance right now, but it was intriguing to me because I had been there and I thought it was a really kind of romantic place. And um, I thought it was different. You know, I didn't read any other romances that were set in Moscow, so I thought I had a leg up there. But it just didn't fit the formula of a romance. It didn't. It wasn't mm-hmm. exactly what a romance publisher wants. So I think I added the intrigue angle there, did some rework on it and became a, a romantic intrigue. And the publisher that did publish it is in Australia or was in Australia. They have since gone out of business. But um, I started taking other classes that that publisher offered, including a horror class. And I think from there, I got into the crime fiction because one of my main characters in my horror novel is a cop and you're talking about concerto diavolo yes concerto diavolo which is an unpublished horror novel but um you know there were two other romances in there too yeah and uh (laughs) neither one of those fit the formula either i'm not a formulaic writer i write what i like to write and that's probably why my stuff isn't widely known but I, I am not afraid of trying new things. So I got, I think from from Concerto Diavolo, I'd started taking some elements and twisting them into short stories that were more crime than horror. And also, I was transcribing uh, as a full-time job. And I was a, an independent contractor of our company whose main customer at the time was a social services organization. I won't name the state or or the organization. And from the case studies that I would listen to through my transcription, I got lots of ideas for crime fiction. So I was able to take a situation I heard and fictionalize it. Of course, no names are are used or locations or anything. Nothing is the same. But I was able to develop some crime fiction from real life stories. And I guess that's where a lot of crime fiction writers do get their information, get their work, they get their um, material. And the bulk of what you wrote in the, in those days were, were shorter stories and, and even Short some, stories, yes. even some flash fiction, you, you got flash on a flash fiction, fiction yes. train for a while there. I got I had good success with flash yeah. fiction. My very first 50 word flash fiction became a finalist in the Derringers. Yeah. That is uh, uh, an award that I mentioned frequently on this show. I was so excited when I was a finalist for, you know, first it was my first shot at, at flash fiction. 50 words is very difficult to write. Mm-hmm. Very tight. And, um, you know, I, I think that's why I write 
lots of different things is because each one is a challenge. And once I've fulfilled a challenge, I want to move on to something else. Was that flight school? Was that the one that... that flight school, yes. Was the one that, yeah. 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 So we're already up to, uh, you've written non-traditional romance or romantic intrigue. Right. Uh, you got right. the, the horror novel, uh, one, one of which was Concerto yeah. Diablo. Um, yeah. which I can't believe that's still unpublished given all of the, the, uh, editorial <laughs> notes I've sent you over the years on that one. <laughs> that one should be in print. Um, and well, then you I haven't, got, haven't submitted it anywhere in uh, a long time because, but from that I've developed several short stories, which have been published. And some of those are crime fiction, which is the third yes. category. And then you, you also, you're, you're a musician and, uh, yes. And, and so Concerto Diavolo does have a lot of musical references in it. I mean, yes. the title alone. And and you play uh, violin, right? Violin. And um, I took up violin later in life. I um, had played French horn when I was young and put that down somewhere in college and never picked it up again or didn't pick it up again. And after so many years, I decided I really missed music in my life and the people who play music. So I decided to try something completely different. Here again is my, oh, I already played French horn, so let me do something else. And I took up the violin. And that's where this <laughs> devil came from. <laughs> the violin is a very, very difficult instrument to learn to play as an adult. And I did it, though. Yeah, I learned and I got myself into a community orchestra or two. And I play it. And I still play it. And... Um, Though through the people I met while playing the violin, I met some French horn players and I realized just how much I missed playing French horn. So I restarted that and I'm playing horn more than violin now and I'm enjoying it so much. <laughs> well, as someone whose bio describes himself as a tortured guitarist, I have to say I very, I very much uh, am impressed with folks that have that kind of musical ability. Music is, is tough for me, that's for sure, and, and but I do love it. Um, yeah. You know, as long as we're being eclectic here, and I think yeah. that's a very fair word given how many different pursuits we're up to at this point. In the writing arena, you also write local history there in southern yes. New Jersey, right? Yes. Um, I got Well, I've always been interested in history, but always as a layperson, I'm, I'm not a, a historian like you. you. You have a degree in history, but... Um, I've, I find it fascinating, and I never knew that my area of South Jersey, or a lot of, um, I guess most of South Jersey, has a very rich history. Their earliest settlements are, are late 1600s, and uh, I live in a town that was incorporated in 1695. And there's history all around me, and I really never knew it. <laughs> so once I started looking around and... Um, Finding out things, I, I got involved with my local historical society. And from there, uh, at the same time, I was talking to a friend who wrote some romance, I think. This woman lives in upstate New York around where I used to live in Buffalo. She lives a little bit closer to Niagara Falls. And she was telling me about a book she was working on that's a pictorial history. And I got excited about that because it wasn't big, dense tomes of history. It was nice bite-sized pieces of history accompanied by photographs, which most people find fascinating to look at. Especially and, um, mystery books. Yes. <laughs> so I found out uh, as much as I could from the publisher. They were interested in my subject matter. And I live in a very tiny town in, in southern New Jersey, and there's no market for the kind of book that this publisher publishes. But 
I got a little creative and again broke the rules. And instead of writing about a town, this is Arcadia Publishing. Uh, instead of writing about one single town, I decided to write about a lot of towns who had a common or which had a common thread, which was the White Horse Pike. This ties back to my horror novel, believe it or not, because or my horror writing, because the Jersey Devil is a popular mm-hmm. you know, horror or figure, if you will, in southern New Jersey. And I had been doing a little bit of research on him for a short story. And I found a very, very well-documented series of sightings of the Jersey Devil in around 1920. And what he did was hopped up the White Horse Pike from where he lives in, in the Pine Barrens. And I, I mean, police officers and nurses and you know, mayors had all seen what they called the Jersey Devil in this very short period of time all along the White Horse Pike. So this all ties together. And uh, the first history book I wrote was the White Horse Pike. And then, of course, if you're from South Jersey, you know, if you have the White Horse Pike, you have to have the Black Horse Pike. So I wrote the Black Horse Pike as well. Initially, they were footpaths from the Lenny Lenape Indians. And then as the, or Native Americans, and as the Europeans started settling and bringing their vehicles, and as vehicles got more powerful and faster, uh, the road needed to be widened and straightened out. And because they run from virtually from the Jersey side of Philadelphia, which is Camden, all the way down to Atlantic City, people started setting up toll booths along the way to earn some money for they improvements. Could, they, of, they could just <laughs> set up a toll booth if they wanted you to. You know, I think at the time people did that, yeah. <laughs> and so it was at one point the White Horse Turnpike and the Black Horse Turnpike. or it, it, Actually, the Black Horse one was, um, they, they were originally named for their origin and terminus. And... Um, the Black Horse Pike ended at that time in Blackwood Town. So it was the whatever Blackwood Town Turnpike. And these names got very unwieldy after a while. And it was um, ultimately shortened to the Black Horse Pike in 1923 by, well, you actually have to read the book to find out how it got that name. But the White Horse Pike was named after the White Horse Tavern, which was uh, a popular spot in Stratford, New Jersey, I believe along the White Horse Pike. These books are, I mean, they're about a local region, but they not only appeal to the local populace who want to know about their own history, but those folks who are touring the area, tourists, it's it's a popular kind of book for them to pick up while they're on vacation. It can be, depending on the subject matter. Uh, the publisher, as I said, is Arcadia Publishing, and they have several series of pictorial history books. The two books of mine are in their Images of America series, where each book has about 200 images. They can be photographs, postcards, objects of interest. And then the author writes not only an introduction to present the material, but then a caption for each photograph so that they put it in context. I was lucky with the White Horse Pike that Walt Whitman had written a travelogue of um, his travels in exactly the same route, but he went by train from Camden to Atlantic City back when he was living in, what, uh, 1850-some-odds? I don't have a copy of the book with me since I'm on vacation. <laughs> I don't have a library with me. I was able to use his travelogue as a basis for the context of the images that I saw and then I, or I, that I was able to borrow. And then I took a second trip down the White Horse Pike 
between World War One and World War Two. So people who read that book can see a contrast within you know a matter of uh, a couple of decades. So people who live in the area love to see the images. A friend of mine wrote a book on Camden in the same series, and people pick pick out their grandparents, aunts and uncles from the <laughs> photographs. It's it's an amazing feeling for an author when somebody says, that's my family's farm, or, you know, I know where that house is. I used to live there. Other people who are new to the area find them very helpful to understand what's going on. And then there are some, probably more the touristy towns, like I'm, I'm vacationing now near Cape May. So the, the book on Cape May would be an interesting book for tourists to, to take back home. Uh, mine, The White Horse Pike, probably would be a touristy interested book too, but um, some other towns probably not. But there's always the people, there are always the people who are new to the area who find them fascinating as well as the people who've lived there for a, a long period of time. Well, we've got history, horror, romance, crime, <laughs> music. I mean, I didn't well, even get, I didn't yeah. even get into your knitting or your uh, oh, uh, yeah. cat foster care. I mean, there we could go on for quite some time. But since this is a writing podcast, let me ask you the big question before we go: uh, What's next on the writing front? I'm not actively writing at the moment because I'm torn in a, a slew of directions. Unfortunately, I still have to work full time. <laughs> Maybe fortunately, too. I like my job for the most part, but it, it kind of saps my energy. And then I have my music stuff at night. And then, like you said, I'm fostering cats and kittens right now. So I don't have a lot of time to really shut down everything else and focus on writing. And Frank, I think we've had these discussions before about how I write where I really need to focus. I'm, I'm not somebody who can turn on a switch and, and write a few paragraphs and walk away. I have to put that character's skin on and play the role almost in my head. Um, when I was writing Concerto Diablo, I remember being so involved in the book that when I took a break to go outside and play in my garden, I bumped into my neighbor across the fence and he was talking to me, and I could not answer his questions because I was in Parkersville. I, I couldn't escape <laughs> the mm. scenario that I was in. Mm. So I, I do get involved, and I haven't had the time to shut out my regular life and get involved in my fiction again. But there is bubbling up uh, an idea of maybe a children's book. It could be musical. It could be about cats. I'm not sure, but something is, is bubbling up. So I'm hopeful that I'll have some written word in uh, the near future. <laughs> Can't still, tell you what it might be. <laughs> still below the surface then. Yes. It's, it's formulating though. My brain works mm -hmm. in, in a very slow and detailed fashion. Very true. I can attest to that in terms of, of, <laughs> of process, uh, very meticulous and, and precise. Um, well, you've delved into a lot of different areas and, and, uh, folks, if you want to check out, uh, Jill's work, you can find some of it online. You can certainly find white horse pike and black horse pike online and elsewhere. And, uh, here's hoping that there'll be some more fiction coming our way in the near future. Uh, Jill, I want to tell you, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much. And I do intend to put together that anthology of my short work. Well, there you go. Uh, soon. You have to help me with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, there you go, my good friend Jill Mazur. 
Uh, like I told you, an interesting woman. She's lived quite a life and she's still living quite a life. I caught her when she was down the shore on vacation. And it is my hope that she will fall through on that uh, promise to put all of her short stories into a collection. Uh, and certainly if you're into history, the uh, Black Horse Pike and the White Horse Pike uh, should should be something that grabs you. All right, well, let us move now to the second guest of the episode. And if Jill Mazur is one of my oldest writing friends, uh, Jamie Lee Fry is, uh, as I mentioned, one of my newest. Uh, located here in Bend, Oregon, just up the road from Wrong Place Right Crime Headquarters in Redmond, Oregon. Uh, Jamie is an independent author, a debut novelist whose first book, The Pretty Ones, has done very well critically and commercially. She also delves into a couple other aspects of the independent publishing field, and I'll let her explain what those are. Let's listen to my interview with Jamie Lee Fry. Well, hey, Jamie, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, this is the fifth season of, of Wrong Place, Right Crime, and I've been fortunate enough to have guests from all over the U.S. and Canada and Europe and Australia and and uh, so forth. But uh, you are a lot closer to home. Wrong Place, Right Crime headquarters is uh, in Central Oregon in Redmond, and you are just up the road in beautiful Bend, Oregon. Yes. How crazy is that? <laughs> well, it's not that crazy when you think about how we actually met. Not true. <laughs> yeah, we actually met at a book event this past weekend at Roundabout Books in Bend, Oregon. Um, we were both invited to do a book signing. And honestly, I didn't even get a chance to talk to you until the very end of it because it was so <laughs> crazy. It was such a busy day. <laughs> Yeah, it was Independent Bookstore Day, so people were mm-hmm. streaming in, and we all got a yep. little chance to pitch our books to people. And uh, and actually, your cover caught my eye as somebody was walking by, and I asked him about it, and I, I made a point I wanted to make sure and touch base with you. And then, of course, we start to discover there's a lot of similarities, you know, both of us writing in, in somewhat the same genre, and, and of course, being independent mm-hmm. uh, authors and so forth. So I'm really glad that you, you came on the show. So folks that don't know anything about you, however, uh, what would you tell them if you had a minute or two to say, hey, this is who Jamie Lee Fry is? Yeah, so I'm originally from Iowa, born and raised. Um, I moved to Central Oregon about a decade ago. Um, so quite a different um, <laughs> change of scenery for sure. Yeah, you've got, you've got hills here, mountains <laughs> instead of flatlands, yes, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but actually where I'm originally from in Dubuque, um, we have a lot of beautiful rolling hills right along the Mississippi. It's very pretty, but definitely a lot different, less humid. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very happy to be here and hiking and oh my gosh, Central Oregon is amazing. So it was definitely a good move for me. And were you writing before you came to to Bend? Yeah, so I actually started writing, gosh, it's probably been about six years ago now. Um, I think Bend really inspired me, like it opened up a whole different creative mind for me. Um, I think it had a lot to do with like hiking. And I started writing a blog um, about all my experiences um, in Bend and Central Oregon, kind of documenting everything and making a helpful tool for other people who are, were new to town and where to hike, the waterfalls, the mountains. So I got really into that. And that's where I started my writing journey. And I realized I really enjoyed doing that. And so then I started 
writing a book, I felt like a lot of creative pieces were kind of coming together in my mind. And so every time I'd be hiking, I'd have all these ideas. And then I started writing the pretty ones. So while you're out walking in the, in the woods, you're, mm-hmm. you're hatching plans for, for yes. fiction. How would you describe the pretty ones in terms of genre? I mean, it's definitely in the thriller suspense overall <laughs> genre, but could you drill down a little deeper? Yeah, I would definitely describe it as a psychological thriller, you know, suspense, fast paced. So if I were to compare it to, say, sharp objects or something like that, would I be in the same ballpark? Yes, absolutely. I love that book is definitely one of my favorites. So I would definitely say it's something along the lines of that or like um, a Gone Girl See, now I on the train. I haven't – of those, the only one I've read is Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. Now, I saw the mm-hmm. adaptation of Sharp Objects, which I thought was mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, was it was that, beautifully w- done. Was it pretty uh, faithful to the book as well? I mean, I know the author was involved in that production, so sometimes mm-hmm. that – Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, there's always going to be some you know minor discrepancies and things, but I think for the most mm-hmm. part, yeah. Well, tell me what's going on in The Pretty Ones. All right. So The Pretty Ones is about a young girl who moves halfway across the country to attend college where no one knows her. It wasn't part of her original plan, but due to her current circumstances, it was something that she felt she had to do. And while she's away at college in her first semester, she meets the beautiful Quinn Sullivan. And Quinn um, is everything Charlie isn't. She's beautiful. She's popular. She's spontaneous. And so Charlie really latches onto her and Quinn unknowingly helps her move on from this tragic time in her life that she's trying to get over. Well, Quinn goes missing. And in her search for finding Quinn, she realizes Quinn isn't exactly who she says she is. And while she's searching for Quinn, she uncovers parts of her own past that is unresolved. Wow, you got a lot going on in there. That's definitely... <laughs> when you said psychological thriller, that's for sure. That that really fits Yeah. <laughs> So um, can you be more specific? She moves from where to where, Charlie? Oh, so she actually moves from Bend to Iowa. So kind ah, of a familiar story for me, yeah. but backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I thought it was kind of, I really love Bend and I really love Iowa. So I wanted to showcase both of them in my first book. <laughs> what led you to decide to go with it being a psychological thriller like this with uh, uh, <laughs> this kind of, a, I mean, what was attractive to us? Was it because you liked the genre or is it just the way the story <laughs> came out or how'd that work? Well, I think it's because I love the genre and I love anything with a good twist. And I just love anything that, you know, makes you really think about it afterwards. Like, wow, like I did not see that coming. And so for me, it was really important as a reader and a writer that I did something like that because I love to walk away from something still thinking about it later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And books are different because you usually have experienced those, you know, separately. Like you read a book, I read a book, and then we realize we both read the same book while we're sitting on an airplane or something and we can gush Mm -hmm. about it. But it's still a shared experience in a way. Oh, absolutely. And like I said, it just, it's exciting to be able to talk about it afterwards and, you know, and see if you guys are on the same page about what actually happened, you know, and it's kind of funny sometimes when you, you think you thought of everything and then somebody brings something else up and you're like, oh my gosh, that's probably why this happened. Or Did you find it difficult to write a book knowing that a, a pretty key element of books like that, you know, is the twist or twists, mm-hmm. plural? Uh, was that hard to to plot? And did you? Well, let's start with that. Was that hard to plot? 
Yes, it was so hard to plot because I wrote the ending first because I knew exactly in my mind how I wanted it to end. So I was like, okay, so then I kind of have to write it backwards almost. Mm -hmm. And it got a little confusing with the timelines. Thankfully, I I had a wonderful editor who helped me through that. Oh my gosh, she was a saint because I had my timelines all over the place and she helped me sort things in a way that it's going to make the most sense, plus also have that big finish that I was looking for. That's that's funny. It's almost like uh, sometimes as authors, we get this myopia to certain elements of our work. I, I'm working on mm-hmm. the final edit of a book coming out in June. And of all of my beta readers and everybody that looked at it and the editing that was done, only one came back and said, uh, the timeline's messed up. You, you start, you, oh, know, no. you start on a Monday and you've got them still doing this weekday mm-hmm. stuff on Saturday and Sunday. Look, here's the days count one, two, three, four, five. Mm-hmm. I'm like, holy cow. I mean, it was an easy fix as, as it turned out, but I had to pay attention to mm-hmm. it because you know, you know, if one out of 12 people get it, <laughs> then one, mm-hmm. one out of 12 people are going to get it when you release it too. So. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, it's so hard keeping track of all that. Like I literally had like poster boards all over my office, like with timelines and okay, that this happens now, <laughs> like <laughs> this has to happen later or, you know, yeah. Got, so did got you a little ma- crazy. <laughs> it sounds like you meticulously <laughs> planned it. I mean, there's a lot of discussion in the writing world about, you know, people who plot versus people who, who are discovery authors, uh, which mm-hmm. is a fancy word for pantsing. Um, Yes. <laughs> it, it sounds like you did not pants very much at all in this book. Well, I think I would say I started off as a pantser and then I had to turn into a plotter because mm-hmm. once I got all my ideas down, then it was like, okay, now they have to go in a certain order. So now I really have to take what I have and kind of almost like reverse outline, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. put everything, like I said, on poster boards and, you know, lines going from here to there. Um, and then it turned into a definite like outline at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard uh, people in recent years as they discuss this plot, plotter versus pantser sort of discussion, mm-hmm. those on the plotting side say everybody plots. If you're a pantser, mm-hmm. your first draft is that's, mm-hmm. your, that's your first outline. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, you're just going about it differently. And so, but it sounds like once you had created the construct and the guidelines and the rules of the universe that you were in, then you had to find a way to make your ideas work within your own rule set. Yes, absolutely. Like I said, it kind of got to be a little maddening, but um, you know, thankfully I had an amazing editor even after I turned it back in. She's like, well, that timeline still doesn't match up. You have to move this, you know? <laughs> did anything surprise you? I mean, did you, even though you were plotting it and planning, did, mm-hmm. did was there ever a moment where, where something happened that you didn't expect? Oh, absolutely. Like, all of a sudden there's a new character or something, you know, like that I just didn't think about or, you know, just started happening on the as I'm typing, it's like, whoa, that's different. You know, I didn't plan for that, you know, and I just went with it and it worked. So I always wonder if that's the, that's the muse whispering in your ear, just so quiet (laughs) that you can barely hear it, you know? Yep, Um, exactly. It's like, you think you want to do something, but your fingers and whatever else is going on is telling you something else. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned on your website that uh, the pretty ones was an Amazon bestselling new release. So obviously uh, people are reading this book. Yeah, it's actually done surprisingly well. I'm very grateful for everyone who gave me a chance, you know, a debut author, you know, with especially with self-publishing, you know, I was, I couldn't believe, you know, when I'm starting to see like the pretty ones ranking on the charts and in my categories. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and it obviously is not going to be a one-off because uh, you've got another book coming out this fall. Yes, I've got The Liars Club coming out this fall. It's in the editing process. I should have a release date within the next month or so. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And without any spoilers, uh, you know, what, what's what's it about in general? What's the general thrust of this new book? Mm. Yeah, so it's about a couple of um, guys who um, unknowingly get mixed up in a club that they can't get out of without paying for it in loyalty and secrets. Mm. Another psychological yeah. book. Yes, another psychological thrill. I can't give away too much more because I'm still working on the editing, so things can change. So. Sure. Well, and you'll have a cover reveal soon as well, I believe. Yes, yes. Um, in July, at the end of July, I'm hoping to have a cover reveal. So I'm working with the same cover designer that did the pretty ones, and she is absolutely fantastic. Her name is Miss Nat Mac on Instagram. You should go check her out. She's does phenomenal work. Yeah, the pretty ones is a is a great cover. It's very evocative mm -hmm. of exactly the uh, the story that you've described. Yeah, thank you. I really I'm very pleased with it. <laughs> Well, aside from being an author, you've got a couple other things on your on your website that caught my eye. In particular, it says that you do some mentoring and some marketing. Now, are those part of the same thing or are those two separate things? Um, they're two separate things. So I mentor on the side. Um, I pretty much help new authors, especially in the self-publishing world, kind of navigate all of the ins and outs of self-publishing. I do offer a free indie author publishing plan if you sign up for my newsletter. So that kind of helps you get started. It's all based on my journey. And so I really enjoy talking to aspiring authors and helping them create their path. Um, right now, I'm currently mentoring two authors. Um, I talk to them once a week and about an hour to 30 minutes to an hour every week and see what their progress is and what they need help with. It's been really fun and really fulfilling. And then the marketing part, is it is oh. it something completely different or along the same lines? Um, yeah. So it's a little kind of blurs a little bit because a lot of the, the people I'm mentoring, um, I hope to help them with the marketing side of things eventually. But I'm also free to um, help other authors um, who really don't enjoy the marketing side. Um, I took a liking to it. I really enjoy creating ads um, and promoting on Instagram and Facebook. So I offer a service where I will create pretty much just promo images for you to use if that's not your jam, if you don't enjoy doing that, I would love to help you with that. Well, both the idea of mentoring newer authors who are entering the independent publishing realm and certainly helping with the marketing, you know, both of those would tend to kind of professionalize uh, independent publishing, which uh, which I think is important. I think uh, there's still, a, for some people, a stigma attached to independent publishing. And the way that gets removed is through professional behavior on the part of independent authors. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100% with that. Because I think that as an indie author, we need to be putting out quality work. Just because mm -hmm. we're not traditionally published doesn't mean that, you know, we can skip steps, you know, we still need to go through the editing process, the the cover design process, the marketing process, and put out the, our best work that we possibly can. So if I can help a new author do that, then I'm doing my part. Well, I think that's great. Before we get going, I wanted to ask you, um, you did say on your website that you enjoy documenting life with your camera. So <laughs> is that a way of saying you like to take pictures or that you're a photographer? <laughs> 
No, I absolutely love taking pictures. I've literally been taking photographs since I could hold a camera. Um, I probably should have been a photographer. Maybe in my next life I will be. But um, I just love documenting everything. It's a way of keeping all of my memories together. Um, I'm one of those people who used to have an insane amount of photo albums. And yeah, so I just absolutely love taking photographs. <laughs> well, it also says that you enjoy stand-up paddleboarding, kayaking, baking, and consuming large amounts of coffee. I would say you found probably the best place in the country to do all of those things uh, here in Central Oregon. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, we, I couldn't ask for a better place to be. <laughs> Well, folks, the book is The Pretty Ones. It is a psychological thriller from debut author Jamie Lee Fry. And if you dig it, you won't have to wait very long for another one. You just uh, wait till October and you'll have, have a new one from Jamie. Uh, Jamie, I want to tell you, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. I appreciate it. All right, folks, there you go. Jamie Lee Fry, a very energetic woman. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed my conversation with her. So check out her novel or her services if, uh, uh, if you're looking for some coaching or some marketing help. Speaking of marketing, quick Zafiro update for you. The Write Along came out on the 6th of May, so a few weeks ago. Uh, that is the fifth Charlie 316 book. And this is a novel that really tackles the issue of contemporary policing head-on and in a balanced fashion. A police officer and a police reformer who spend a graveyard shift in the close confines of a patrol car, 10 hours sitting in the same car together, you gotta talk at some point, right? And that's what happens in this book. So I think if you read it, you're gonna find things that you agree with no matter where you are on the political spectrum. And you're gonna find some things that make you mad <laughs> no matter where you are on the political spectrum. So if uh, that interests you, please give it a try. All right, I want to thank both Jill and Jamie for coming on the show. I really enjoyed interviewing both of them. Likewise, thanks to Down Out Books for sponsoring the show. Uh, and most of all, thank you, the listener, for being here yet again. Uh, here we are in Season 5. Uh, I've I really appreciated you accompanying me on this journey, both the writing journey and the podcasting journey, and uh, looking forward to the next few episodes to close out the season. Speaking of which, next episode will be Greg Levin. Now, Greg uh, is an American living down under at the moment. Funny guy on Twitter. We talk about uh, all of that, plus his books, very dark subjects with some gallows humor in them. Uh, and uh, I had a great time talking to him. And I, I think you'll enjoy the conversation as well. So that is a next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to right crime.